that I know that a lot of us deal with is sometimes we get in these moments and these, these, these situations, circumstances of life where maybe we're not as bold as we should be or as bold as we want to be. And one of those, a lot of times it's in those times, those quiet moments of life or those, those difficult times in life where there's things that take place, <clears throat> things that happen, and we don't act the way we should or we don't carry out the way, the way, the way we wanted to. And so sometimes we become timid. And in this, a lot of times in our own faith journey, I think a lot of us in here could say there have been moments when I was timid, when I should have been bold. I should have been bold, and something inside of me told me to, to calm it down, or something inside of me said, don't worry about it. Somebody else will do it, and we come across these moments of regret or these moments of, uh, of just looking back saying, oh, I wish I would have done something differently here. And so for the past two weeks, we've looked at one of the things that in order to be bold, one of the things I have to take off the table in my, my faith journey to take off in my life is this, that giving up is not an option. Uh, we looked at Moses and what Moses went through in the beginning of his life with his mother and how she did not give up on making sure that her son uh, was cared for after birth, but also was put in the right position that God had called her to in order to be taken care of by the Pharaoh's daughter. And so if we want to be bold, one of the things we have to take off the table is this whole idea, this whole um, thing of, well, maybe I, if things don't work out the way I want, I can always give up. And so when we're in our faith journey, let's just take giving up off the table because it's not allowed. So we don't give up. The second last week, we looked at uh, who do we let speak into our lives. And, and one of the things as I, I look back on that message, one of the reasons I did that is because I believe that if we listen to the right people and we allow the right people to speak into our lives, then it brings about a boldness in our decision making. It allows us to be more bold in what we decide to do. And we looked again at Moses' life, and we looked at uh, how Moses had a father-in-law that spoke into his life, Jethro. And when Jethro spoke into his life, because he, he was a, a, a man that trusted or that Moses trusted, a man that knew Moses, a man that, that Moses could listen to, you see that Moses uh, was able to carry out his leadership in leading the Israelites out, out of um, Egypt into the promise, or up into the promised land, uh, but through that, that period of being in the wilderness, but was able to sustain it because he listened to the right people. And I asked, are we listening to the right people? What does that look like? And when we do that, then that allows us to be bold in what we do. Today, I want to look at something that I believe all of us deal with. Uh, I believe all of us have this inner voice that speaks to us. And this inner voice is this, this voice that tells us uh, that... We don't have to be bold. I call it our inner coward. And it's the one that tells us to run when we should stand. It's the one that tells us to be quiet when we should speak. It's the one that tells us that we don't have to be bold when God's calling us to be bold. It's that one, that voice inside of us that sits there and says, you know what? You're not good enough. You'll never measure up. Who are you to think you could do anything for the kingdom? It's that voice that speaks within us that, that that's that, that little quiet voice that says, you're going to mess it up. And we have this voice in us and that, that, that talks to us and that speaks to us. And today I want to look at how in the Bible there's a story of a man named Gideon who had this voice, this his inner coward, I like to call it. And it's the one that, that, that we, a lot of us, if not all of us, have this voice that speaks to us and tells us, you know what, let somebody else take care of it. You know what? You're not strong enough to deal with this. 
you know what? Do you really think you can do what God's calling you to do? Do you really think you can measure up to what he wants? And so many times, time after time, we listen to this voice. We listen to this voice, and then this voice speaks to us. We claim it as something that, that deserves our attention. And what happens is, is we live a life that's not necessarily bad, that's not necessarily great, but we live this life where boldness does not exist. And it's a voice that I, I struggle with day in and day out. It's a voice that speaks to me as, ah, what are you doing, Chad? You know you can't do this. Chad, what are you doing? You know you, know you shouldn't do that. And then in this voice, you know where it really hits me? Is in, and I know I speak about my marriage or relationships a lot, but this is where it hits me the most. Is in with Julie, my wife. And it's in those times when, when I know that there's some awkwardness or some tension within the home. You guys know those moments, Mary? You know those moments? The relationship never happened good. God bless you guys. Y'all are awesome. But it's in those moments you know there's tension, and you know there's tension because there's a coldness that just floats in your home. And you, and you walk by and you get this look. And this look says, I'd rather you be dead than looking at me right now. <laughs> Maybe y'all don't get that. But the, 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 those moments, and that, that, that voice that says, ah, it doesn't matter what you say. Don't, don't say anything. You'll just make it worse. It's her problem, not yours. It's that voice that speaks to us that says, don't, don't say anything. Just, just let it just let it work its way out. Because you know, time heals everything, right? The stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and it's that voice that oh, she'll get over it. And it's that inner voice that I have to learn to quiet. You know the other inner voice I'm learning to quiet is the one that tells me not to protect my home. Not to protect my home. I'll give you a, a, a prime example. The Super Bowl was how many weeks ago? Three. Right? Halftime show. Now you can have your opinion on the halftime show, whatever, right? Um, and you guys know my issues. I've shared them with them many times before. So we don't have to get into that. Um, I stayed home with Chad, and we were watching the Super Bowl, and the halftime show came on. And I was doing something busy cleaning. And I walked by and I look over at the TV and I'm like, holy crap, what are you watching? <laughs> and a part of me says, just let it go. He, he's whatever. And the, the inner voice, right? Says, don't stand up for your family. The inner voice says, that's the society. It's okay. Everyone else is like, like that piece that says, you don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to be diligent in protecting your home. And then this particular piece, I said, no. Like I yelled at myself. Dude, you're called to protect your home. You have a son. You are called to protect, help protect his eyes. You are called to something greater. And so I walk over. I said, buddy, we can't watch this. Grab the remote. And I turned it. Why? 
Because we're called to make bold decisions as dads. We're called to make bold decisions as fathers. We're not called to succumb to whatever society tells us to. We're called to something greater. And, and yes, we can, you can sit there and say, well, Chad, that's a little extreme. It's just a halftime show. Or we, we could take it with whatever, right? I'm not going to rip on the halftime show. But what I'm saying is there's certain things that we're not being bold about in protecting our home. We're not being bold about and protecting those things that God has given us. And there's this voice in us that says, don't worry about it. It'll work its way out. Don't worry about it. Don't pursue your wife. She knows she, she knows you love her. Don't worry about it. Don't spend time with your kids. They know that you're, you're a good dad. And, that, and there's pieces. Oh, just take care of yourself. And at some point, we got to get to this place where we stop listening to that inner coward that tells us not to be bold start stepping out and being bold. And we get to this story in the Bible in Judges uh, where a man named Gideon, and this man named Gideon, he was considered one of the judges of Israel. And just so you know, what had happened was as Moses had led the people up to the promised land, didn't take them into him because he, he wasn't obedient, so God took that from him, but he put in place a man named Joshua. And Joshua was charged with taking the people into, the, into, into Israel and claiming the promised land. Now, one of the very things that God told Joshua was, is I want you, when you go in, and I, this may sound horrible, but when you go in, I want you to take out everybody in the land. I don't want you to leave anybody behind. And if you question why God would say that, why don't we just look at what's going on in the Middle East right now? If the Israelites would have done what God had told them to, things would be a lot different in the Middle East right now. Because the tension we have is because there was remnants left. So we see this particular piece playing out even today, thousands of years later. A lack of obedience played out thousands and thousands of years later. We see the evidence of this. A lack of boldness and being obedient, we see this played out even today and how it affects what's going on in our world. So Joshua was charged with this, and so he let, they didn't do exactly what God did, told them to do all the time. And so what took place is eventually they claimed the promised land, everything was divided up, and then Joshua died. And when Joshua died, what took place for leadership is they would place judges in place. They'd put judges in place to bring leadership and guidance and wisdom to the people. And so there's a series of judges that was put in place, and we get to this place, this particular judge named Gideon. Now, Gideon came from a farming uh, home. He, he was a farmer. His family was a farmer. But there was something about Gideon's the parents, his, his, his fathers, that they got so far away from God that they started worshiping other idols. Why was that? Because their fathers didn't do what they were told to do and get rid of them. And so there's these, these uh, altars to these other gods, and there's these Asherah towers to these other gods that existed, and all these things that they put was in the land that happened. And so what took place was this. Have you ever noticed that sometimes God uses other people to get our attention? Like he uses somebody, and this is what's interesting. You ever notice how sometimes we think that when something bad happens to us, like God doesn't love us. Or somebody says something mean to us that, ah, God, something, I must have done something wrong. Or that God doesn't let me do, let me be very clear. Sometimes things that are bad that happen to us that people bring on us is to get our attention back to God. 
Sometimes it's to draw us back to him. And so God would use other tribes in the area, other people groups in the area, to go and, and, and attack the Israelites to say, hey, listen, you need to return to me. And one of the people groups that he used was the Midianites. If you remember last week, we talked about Jethro, and Jethro was a priest of Midian. He used Moses' father-in-law's group to come and get their attention by attacking them. Now, when the Midianites would come in, what they would do is they would come at a time when the harvest was coming up. They'd go and they'd plan, they'd be about to ready to reap the, the benefits of the harvest. They'd go and they'd, you know, all that. And what the people would do is they'd come, the Midianites would come in, and for a period of about seven, eight years, they would come in and just wipe out the harvest. And would create desolation, they would create havoc. Then they would take out their herd. And all of this was to get Israelites' attention. And yet they continued to worship other gods. They continued to go back. God had enough. See, when God has his hand on you and he wants your attention, he wants his people to be with him, he's going to do something to bring you back in. He's going to do something to bring you back to where you're in a relationship with him. And that's where God was at. So he calls on Gideon, and Gideon's first thing when he has this encounter with the angel of the Lord, he has this encounter with the angel of the Lord, and, and the first thing this angel of the Lord says to him is, O valiant warrior. He builds them up. Oh, mighty man of valor. He builds them up. He says, I, God has something planned for you. And in response, what Gideon responds with is, but you don't know where I come from. My family's the least of these. And he goes in and starts giving all these excuses of why he's not who God says he is. Now, let me ask you this question. How many times when God speaks into our lives, do we come back with something that says, ah, that's not right. You don't understand, God. Here's where I come from. Here's what I've experienced. And so many times we have a God that speaks into us, that speaks life into us, that builds us up, that tells us that we're more than conquerors, that tells us that we're a child of his, that tells us that we belong to him, that tells us we have the same power that runs that we through him, through, from Jesus. And yet we come back with, oh, but you don't know what I've done. And all of this. And Gideon was no different. And God says, I have something planned for you, but the first thing I need you to do is I need you to go to your father's land, and I need you to tear down these, these idols. And Gideon says, but I'm afraid. And so rather than doing it in broad daylight, he goes in the middle of the night, and he takes ten guys with him, and he tears down these idols. And he comes back, and then the angel comes back, angel Lord comes back to him and says, hey, I got something else for you. The Midianites are camped out here. Over 100,000 100, Midianites are ready to attack Israel again, to attack the people again. And so he goes, I want you to build a, 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 an army. And so he gets 32,000 people, Israelites, to come on him and to be on his side to fight this army. And so then the, the, this is what's spoken to Gideon. Hey, tell the ones that are afraid to go home. I served in the Marines. And I can't imagine so my, my lieutenant looking at me and said, hey, Chad, are you afraid? Just go ahead and turn it in. Just go ahead and put that. Just go. But this is what God says. He goes, you got too many, too many, Gideon. He goes, you got too many warriors. Now, let me ask you this. Look, I, I'm, not, I'm not the best at math, but 32,000 
verse 100, and let's say 20,000. I got too many? You got that pastor's math, don't you, guy? <laughs> you see, I got too many. I want people to know that I'm with you. I want people to know that I'm the Lord God, and I can conquer these things in front of you. I want people to know who I am. So 22, take off. Now here's what's interesting. As this is being said, I'm sitting here looking at the story, and I'm reading how Gideon was afraid himself. Like, I'm surprised Gideon didn't say, peace out, God. Have fun. <laughs> but the whole thing is it's interesting because he whittled it down to 10,000. And they got it. So he's like, okay, God, I'm going to trust you, but I'm not sure how 10, 100, this is not adding up. And God says, you still got too many. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. And so we get to this point, and he's like, because you got too many. Here's what I want you to do. Take them down the river. I want you to watch them drink water. Takes him down the river, and he goes, those that kneel down and just drink straight from the water, I want you to send away. And those that kneel, that have been down and take it up with their hand and lap, I want you to keep. So they go down to the water, and they see all this go down. And what happens is, is about 300 men reach down with their hand and, and, and drink with their hand. The rest go down like, like Dog Parker and start lipping, lapping from the water, right? So they send those away. And then God says, these are the ones I want you to go. People will know who I am by what you do right now. See, you think power is within numbers. But I got something to show people that power is when stand, people stand with me and are bold with me. So he takes 300 men. Now you think he'd give them and he'd arm them with a lot of cool th armory stuff to defeat. You know what he arms them with? Trumpets. Here's a trumpet. Sorry, dude, where's my gun? Like, where's my sword? Where's my dad? Right? No, here's a trumpet. So he goes down, and, and, and during this time, and what there you see this whole process go down. Gideon's questioning, and he's doubting, and he's having all these moments where he doesn't understand what's going on. And he keeps saying, God, are you for sure? And one of the things he goes with God to is he seeks him out a couple times in the story, but one that's a very well known story that you may or may not have heard about it's but it's the fleece. And he goes, God, okay, if this is truly going to happen, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to lay this fleece out, and what's going to happen the first day is that my fleece is going to be wet from the dew, and the ground's going to be dry. So he lays this fleece out, and what he goes out the next day and says, okay, the fleece is wet. He wrings it out, and it's the water's pouring, and the ground is dry. He goes, oh, now, God, this was pretty amazing. We, have, we do this, don't we? One more thing. Just want to make sure. Just want to make sure you're with me. I need to do this. So here's what I need you to do. I need you to make the fleece dry and the ground wet. Then I'll know. Then I'll know. God, I can just imagine God. Seriously, just will you trust me? You know what I'm learning? That when we doubt, when we doubt, it allows us to, for our faith to of our doubt, God brings about our faith growing stronger and stronger and stronger. So don't be afraid to doubt because he's growing our faith. And in this midst, Gideon throws this out. So he goes out the next day, the sucker's dry, the ground's wet. Okay, God. 
He literally goes down, and he, the next thing, he, one of the things that Gideon was having another one of those moments, and so the, all the, 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 the Midianites were encamped, and, he, and God says, now here's, if, if you still don't trust me, here's what I need you to do. Walk on down and, and sit there. Walk on down and, and stand outside, and I'm going to show you something. So he walks on down, and he's standing outside with some guys, and all of a sudden he hears one of the Midianite soldiers, our, our commander, say this. They're going to take us out. I'm paraphrasing here. God's with them. Something good's going to happen. Like we're, we're this isn't going to happen. Like they're going to just, they're going to defeat us. And the minute Gideon hears that, his confidence goes up. That was what he needed. So he comes back. He looks at 300. So here's their trumpets. So they go and they surround the camp. And all they do is they blow these trumpets. And as they blow these trumpets, chaos goes into the camp. And they didn't even have to kill anybody yet. All they had to do was blow these trumpets, and they started killing each other. They started slashing each other, and then they start running. And then they take 300 chase them. But in the midst of this peace, we see that Gideon, in the midst of fear, in the midst of thinking that he's not all that, and the thinking that where he came from is not good enough, God used him for something amazing. And so as we look at this story and how our need to be bold, I look at how Gideon, how to silence that inner piece of him, that inner coward, in order to carry out what God had called him to do. And so let's look at how all this played out. So the number one thing I want us to understand, in order for us to silence that inner coward, the first thing I need to do is I need to stop with the excuses. I need to stop giving God excuses of why I can't be bold for him. I need to stop giving him the excuse. And the number one excuse we, we all could use, God, I don't have enough time right now. Do you know that how busy I am? Do you know everything I've got going on? One of our biggest excuses we could give is, God, I don't have enough time. Another excuse is, is I'm not qualified. Another excuse is I don't have what it takes. Another excuse is do you know what I've done? We just keep throwing out excuses after excuse after excuse. And we throw out excuses more than anything else. And what happens is the more excuses we give and the more excuses we throw out, why we can't be bold for God is we start to believe these excuses are real. And we start to listen to the excuses over who God says, what God says. <laughs> And in Judges 6, 15, and this is, this is right after Judges 6, 12, if you go there, Judges 6, 12, this is where the angel of the Lord tells Gideon who he is, mighty man of valor, another uh, translation says um, a valiant warrior, well, that was spoken into Gideon's life, and the excuse that Gideon came back was, was in 6, 15, he said this, and he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? How can I do what you've called me to do? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Some pretty good excuses, right? Some pretty good excuses for why he couldn't do what God had called him to do. And we give God some of the lame excuses just like Gideon does. Because I do it. I come up with an excuse after excuse why I can't do what God's called me to do. 
I had a friend come up and he said, hey, Chad, I think this this week. I was very, very close friend. He's in our life group. We've been doing life together for a while. He goes, hey, Chad, I, I think it would be a good idea for, for you guys to start thinking about maybe joining the Milford, Miami Township Chamber of Commerce to, to get out there and start getting amongst people, networking and meeting people and, and all of this. And I have to be completely honest. My, my excuse in the back of my head, and I didn't tell him this, my excuse in the back of my head is thanks for giving me one more thing to do in my life. <laughs> and so I, I went and I looked and I'm like, I, I, I don't know how this is going to work. Not only that, but I am, like, I can get up here and do this by the grace of God, but put me around people that I don't know and it becomes very difficult. I'm an, I'm a, I love being an introvert. I love being by myself. It's wonderful. So to go and talk, and like, sit there, I went home and I said, Julie, hey, here's what um, so-and-so said. And she goes, I think it'd be good for you. Like, crap. <laughs> you need to talk to him more. I'm like, no, just us. Aren't you leaving to go to Florida? <laughs> she goes, no, seriously, Chad, this is something you need to think about. I think this will be good for you. I think this will get you out of your comfort zone. But I had every excuse in the world not to do it. And I had some good ones too because, you know, do I really need one more thing to do? And in the midst of it, when you listen to the right people, it's interesting what comes around. So listen, if we want to be bold, stop with the excuses. Stop. When you feel yourself giving an excuse why you can't be bold for God, just stop right there. Get rid of it. Start claiming what God has spoken already into your life. Start finding those pieces that God has spoken into your life, who you are rather than who you're not. And watch what he does. The next thing that we learn in this passage as we go through and work through this particular story, uh, we see that Gideon is called to do something pretty, pretty drastic. And it's something that could very well get his family, turn his family against them. See, Gideon was called to go and tear down those idols. To get rid of those family idols that were distracting him from doing what God has done. In our room, in our church, we have some things that we hold dear. In our own lives, we have some things that we, that we, that we put above God. It could be our jobs, it could be our titles, it could be our marriages, it could be our kids, it could be our hobbies, it could be whatever. We have these things that distract us. These things that, 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 that pull us away from God. And we turn toward these things and we actually give them more uh, of our time and more of our energy and more of who we are than we do our Heavenly Father. And in Gideon, he was called to do something to get rid of the distractions. So if I want to be bold for God, I have to, I have to start getting rid of the distractions. I have to deal with the distractions. And it doesn't matter how we do, do it, it just may, means that i got to deal with them. i got to get rid of them. I've got to address them. I've got to be bold enough to go after them, and I've got to be bold enough to stand up for something. And so Gideon, in the middle of the night in Judges 6, 27, this is what we read. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. But here's what I want to say. In the midst of Gideon's fear, he still did it. 
In the midst of it, even though he was afraid, he still carried it out. It didn't matter whether he did it by day or by night. The, the thing that's so important in this, this story for me is that regardless of when he did it, he did it. Regardless of what he was putting before God, we've got to come to a point where we deal with the distractions. One of our biggest distractions, and I know this because um, I deal with it, is this beautiful thing right here. And on it, you can put games that do what? Occupy your time. You can put social media stuff on here that does what? Sucks you in. You can do all kinds of things on this thing, and, and it's just, it just dread. Sometimes we've got to deal with the distractions. Lately, for some reason, I've been sucked into these, like, uh, maybe it's because I've been at swimming events and I get bored, but I've been downloading games that are just useless and pointless. And what I find is I sit on the couch next to my wife when I should be engaging with my wife, and I find myself on level 74 of solitaire, and I should be actually talking to her. So much so that in order to deal with it, maybe I just need to start deleting these games and getting rid of them. What distractions do we need to deal with? What idols do we have in our lives that we have to address? What are we holding above God? And what are we worshiping above God that is keeping us from being bold for him? Gideon's family worshipped these other gods, Baal and these other gods, and Gideon had to deal with it in order for him to carry out what God had called him to. He had to get rid of the distractions. What's distracting us today? What's in our way of keeping us from carrying out what he's called us to? The third thing is we get to this point where, where we've dealt with the distractions and we stop giving excuses. There comes a point when, when all of us, we just need to wholeheartedly, flat out seek the Lord. See, I don't look at Gideon's encounter with God and the fleece as a bad thing or as, as, as it was horrible that he doubted or that he questioned God. Because let's be honest, we, if we're truly following God, if we're truly on our faith journey taking faith steps, we are going to face huge moments of doubt. We're going to face huge moments of questioning whether he's there, questioning whether he has us, questioning whether what he's called us to is really what he's called us to. And, he, and we come across these moments, the more and more we follow him, the more and more we go after him, the more and more we are in his word, and more and more what we're doing is we carry out what he's called us to. We come to this point in Gideon's life, we see it in his life where he gets to this point where he just flat out seeks the Lord, and we do too. Judges 6, 36 to 40 reads this. And Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel in my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, and it is, it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. See, even in the midst of, of all of this, in the midst of fear, in the midst of doubt, in the midst of that inner peace saying, you, got, you don't have this. In the midst of all these excuses coming up, he had to come to a point where he had to seek out what the Lord wanted. He had to seek the Lord and gain guidance from him. And so he uses the fleece. He goes on, and, it, and even though, and it was so, when he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. 
And God said to Gideon, or then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only. And on all the ground let there be dew. God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only. And on the, all the ground there was dew. There's nothing wrong with seeking out the Lord, asking him for reassurance. Making sure that what he's called us to is the right thing. There's nothing wrong with us going and seeking him out, saying, God, I just want to make sure I'm in line with you. I want to make sure that this fear I'm, I'm feeling is, doesn't need to be there, that you have me, that you're with me. Because you know what's more important to God than anything is that you're seeking him. That you're going to him, asking him for wisdom and discernment and all this. And so many times we listen more to the fear, we listen more to that inner coward than we do to the God that loves us and has a plan for us. And so Gideon went and he sought out the Lord by using a fleece. In the midst of our doubts, we need to seek him. In the midst of our fears, we need to seek him. There's another piece that I believe that in order for us to be bold, in order for us to, to really be bold and live for Christ, in order for us to really be who he's called us to be, there comes a point where we have to get to this point where we stop with the excuses, we deal with the distractions, we seek the Lord, but we learn to live in the uncomfortable. We learn to live in the uncomfortable. Following God is not a life of Nowhere in scripture does God say, if you follow me, you'll be comfortable. Nowhere in scripture does it say, if you give your life to me, I'll solve all your problems. It doesn't say it. What it does say is, if you follow me, you'll experience suffering. If you'll follow me, you'll experience a joy that's unexplained. If you follow me, you'll experience a peace that no one can understand. If you'll follow me, you'll experience some trials that bring you back to me. If you follow me, you'll be uncomfortable. And so there comes a point in our lives where we have to realize that it is okay to be uncomfortable. That it is okay for me not to, have, not to have everything I want. That it is okay for me to have these moments where things just don't seem right. Because in those moments is when God meets me. And it's in those moments that I draw close to him. And it is those moments that he gets my attention. And it is those moments of fear and being afraid and of that inner coward speaking to me. That God's voice has the opportunity to speak loudly and to define who I am rather than that piece. And so we get to this point of, I need to learn to live in the uncomfortable. In Judges 7, 2 to 3, we see this. The Lord said to, to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Least Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. 
and 22,000 of them people returned and 10,000 remained. See, there was some type of comfort in Gideon having 32,000 men with him. It brought some source of comfort knowing he had in numbers. And yet God said, no. Don't find comfort in numbers. Find comfort in me. He goes on in Judges 7, 6 to 7. It reads this. And the number of those who laughed, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who laughed, I will save you and give the Midianites in your hand. And let all the others go, every man to his home. For us to think that Gideon felt comfortable with 300 men up against 100,000 men. I've said it time and time again that the way God does things and the way man does things don't add up. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. The way he works out things in our lives is far different than the way we would do it. And when we come to this point where we start listening to that inner power, we fail to see what he's capable of. We fail to see the power that he has. And it's when I live, choose to live in the uncomfortable that I see God show up, that I see his power, that I see what he's capable of. So I need to stop with the excuses. I need to deal with my distractions. I need to seek the Lord. I need to live in the uncomfortable. And the last thing I need to do to live bold, to be bold is this. I need to pursue the opportunities. God puts opportunities in, our, in, in front of us all day long. Conversations to have, things to get involved in, things to do. He puts opportunities in front of us all the time. People to pour into. Places to show up and just be present. Phone calls to make. Notes to write. Opportunities to pursue. Realtors to call. All these things that God puts in our, in, the, in our way. He says, here, these are opportunities. Some of them work out, some of them don't. And it's okay. I got a call from a realtor just last week. Hey, we've got a building for sale. We know you're a church that meets in a school. Here's what it is. Here, their church is going under. They can't make the mortgage. And here's an opportunity. There's an opportunity. We'd have to move out to Goshen. I said, no, we're not doing that. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with pursuing the opportunity. I didn't even want to answer the phone. Because once he told me the name of it, I'm like, no, we're not going there. But I called him up. I said, hey, if you see anything else, give me a call. If something else pops up in our area, let me know. So many opportunities that come. There's nothing wrong with pursuing. We see this with Gideon. Judges 7, 9 to 11. We see this is a moment when Gideon was afraid. It says this. That same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. Now listen to what God says. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Parah, your servant. You shall hear what they say, and afterwards your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Parah, 
and his, his servant to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. God gave him an opportunity to help, to, to reassure him. Gideon could have said, you know what, no, I'm good, I'm not going to go down. But no, he took an opportunity to make sure that what he was hearing was right. He pursued an opportunity. Judges 7, 15 reads this. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. If we don't learn to pursue the opportunities in our, that God puts in our lives, we'll miss out on what he has for us. So if I want to be bold, the one thing I have to do is quiet the inner coward in me that tells me to stop tells me to be distracted, that tells me to give excuses, that tells me not to pursue opportunities, that tells me to seek everything else. I've got to learn to silence them. But if I want to be bold for Christ, then I've got to stop with the excuses. I've got to deal with the distractions. I've got to seek the Lord. I've got to learn that it's okay to be uncomfortable. I gotta pursue the opportunities he gives me. So here's my question. In the midst of everything we've learned about Gideon today, what excuse are you giving God right now? What excuse is that inner coward giving you right now that's stopping you from being who God has called you to be or do what God has called you to do? And when you think about what you're hearing from that inner coward, that inner voice that's telling you, whatever it is, whatever it's telling you, I want you to think about what we talked about. What excuse am I giving that I need to stop? What distraction do I need to get rid of? Am I truly seeking the Lord with all my heart, wanting wisdom and discernment from him? get that through reading his word and praying and hanging out with other people who love Jesus and who speak into my life. And it's learned that it's okay for me to be uncomfortable. That sometimes it's okay for me to feel fear. There's nothing wrong with it. It's a God-given emotion. For those of us that hate anxiety, guess what? There's a good thing from anxiety tells me sometimes when to run from something. It also tells me when I need to run into something. I don't have to fear it. I live on the uncomfortable and I pursue the opportunities that he gives me. But it'll never happen if I listen to the inner coward in me. I need to silence it. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and praise you. We thank you for today and for your goodness to us. Lord, I thank you for the story of Gideon. Lord, one of your judges in, in, of Israel, one of the ones that you used to, to, to bring about something new, to defeat an enemy. And Lord, as we've sang songs today about how you're going to bring out a victory, how um, you surround us and how um, the, the, the enemy that we face, the, the, the 
the battles that we face day in and day out. You hold us in the midst of those, and you have a plan for us, Lord. It doesn't matter what they are, but you're going to bring about something. And so, Lord, in order for us to win these battles, in order for us to be a part of these victories, Lord, you've called us to be bold. And, Lord, and in the midst of being bold, I cannot listen to that peace in me that tells me to be a coward. That tells me to be quiet, that tells me to stop, that tells me to give up, that tells me that I'm not worth anything. Lord, I have to stop listening and I have to stop giving excuses. Lord, you've, you've called and so shown us a story of a man who had to look past the excuses he gave and trust you. You've shown us a story of a man who had to deal with the distractions and the idols that were, carried, that were passed down generations. Show us a man that sought you out, sought your wisdom. Show us a man that, it, that, that, that we could see that was okay with being uncomfortable and simply trusting you. And Lord, we saw how a man would pursue the opportunities to carry out what you've given us. And Lord, in the midst of this, we see that you brought about a boldness in Gideon because of that, Lord, because of what took place there, we get to see how you brought victory to the Israelites. So God, as we deal with our own inner cowards, I pray for victory. I pray, Father, that we hold on to the hope of Jesus Christ. The one, because we have the hope, as it says in your word, because we have the hope in him, we can be bold. We can be fearless. We can, we can do exactly what you've called us to do. And that's the promise I pray we hold on to. Lord, make us bold in that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple ways for us to respond today. Communion tables are open. And as you remember what Jesus has done for you, the, his death, and how he went to the cross for us. We can take uh, communion to remember that moment and that the fact that he went to the cross and died for us and gave his life for us, we can have a relationship with him. And so feel free to go and take communion. Another way, Chad mentioned this earlier, mentioned about giving. Um, because you guys give, we're able to do some pretty amazing things. Because you're a generous church, we're able to pour into our community. And I don't want to be a pastor that nickels and dimes our church. I don't. I don't want to be a pastor that every time a need comes up, we're out here asking for more and more. But here's what I want you to know. Because you respond to God's leading and you give back a, a tithe, you give back an offering. Because of that, we can pour out into our community. We can give. Case in point, last weekend, over 600 cups of coffee given out free to our, our community. This family, that these two families from Boyd that have lost uh, a lot, will be able to make a gift to them because you guys give. Look, we're not a church that wants to hoard and hoard and hoard. No, we're a church that pours out. And we can pour out because you guys give, so thank you. So you have an opportunity to give uh, as well. Um, if you need prayer, I'll be right up here. You can come up and pray. I'll make sure to turn my mic off so not everyone hears the prayer. Um, but if you need prayer, come and pray. 
Lastly, we'd stand and sing. And as you stand and sing a song with the team, uh, just pour out your heart to God and pray that he makes you full. You respond how God leads.